0: Hello everyone and welcome to the False Nines. This is the fifty-second episode of a biweekly footballing discussion. Uh, I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend Adam Goffin. And I, I already I already made a mental note that the bi weekly part was violated by our, our skipping of last week. So um, off to off to a a fictitious beginning. But Adam, how's it going today? Footy Zach. Goals galore, footy. Goals galore in in multiple ways. Uh, the the first of which being the high scoring Premier League weekend number two uh, that happened uh, this this past Saturday and Sunday. Um, uh, records abound for Premier League goals in a two day set, and then Newcastle United scoring seven goals today against Morcambe in the. League Cup going on to round four. Uh, it was it was something else. When was the last time we scored seven goals? Have we ever done that before? It's been a long time. So
1: here's a funny stat for you to start the pot off strong. I actually looked up at halftime. We are 5-0 up, and they had 10 men. So I looked up what the record Newcastle win of all time is. Zach, do you have any idea what the record Newcastle victory of all time is? I don't. 13-0 against Newport County, who we meet in the next round of the carabao cup um, the stars are aligning it was 1940 something i forget like 46 or something like that but yeah it was it was a long time ago let's just say neither of us were
0: alive and i'm already pretty old yeah there you go well i mean if if joe linton keeps scoring and assisting at this fashion he'll be he'll be knocking in all 13 of those against uh, the newport lads in in a couple of weeks
1: Actually, some tidy finishes from him today. I mean, he was afforded a lot of space that he wouldn't be afforded in the Premier League. Um, but but some good finishes. So mm-hmm. he scored goals. We can we can say that. And God knows we need somebody to score goals every now and again.
0: That's true. And the man needs a little bit of confidence as well. So uh, good on all accounts. And in good that Newcastle finally gets what seems like to be the first friendly line of draws that we've gotten in a, in a tournament in, in a long while.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. There's actually some really tough draws for a lot of the other Premier League teams, so we can count
0: ourselves fortunate make our way to the quarterfinals and inevitably lose to Manchester city. That's how it goes. Wash, rinse and repeat. Um, mm-hmm. so, so going into the premier league, uh, most clubs have played two matches, a handful of them, city Burnley and, uh, city Burnley Villa and Manchester United, um, still have only played one match, but it has been an exciting beginning to the season. I know that I saw a article written by George Calkin in the athletic, uh, Essentially titled, um, sh- shut the fuck up. Nothing really matters. It's only two matches in, which I thought was one of the better articles I've read in a while. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, people blowing their gasket case already and uh, calling for managers out, saying that certain teams are going to win the Premier League. What have you taken uh, from the, the first few weeks, Adam? I mean,
1: I, I guess I could share that perspective
0: in some ways,
1: but, you know, there are matches in front of you to be won and to be lost. Kudos to the teams that have won them and the teams that have lost them are obviously looking up at the rest of the teams and thinking that they need to do that. So you're he's right in some ways in that it's not necessarily the be all end all of everything two games into the season. But you want to start strong, you want to put your best foot forward, you want to get the momentum going, and get as many points on the board as early as you can, especially for the teams like Newcastle who are, you know, going to be
0: struggling to stay up this season. Mm-hmm. it's true and at the top of the table we have five clubs uh, that have yet to drop a point it's uh, from from the top down Leicester City Everton Arsenal Liverpool and Crystal Palace so wait who was that last names, one? Crystal Palace Roy Hodgson for England manager Roy Hodgson for Liverpool manager Roy Hodgson for player coach holy um, moly
1: Everton was a surprise but then you threw in Crystal Palace and I had to double check the table against it
0: it is pretty incredible, and obviously, again, take it with a grain of salt. We we probably don't expect those standings to be what they are uh, at the end of the season as they are now, but um, you know, impressive runs of form, good to get some confidence in the players. Uh, so so let's start with the two Merseyside clubs, actually, because that's a bit of an interesting subplot. As you touched on, Everton has been storming out the gates. They had a fantastic summer signing uh, a number of, of top-class players, James Rodriguez probably being the most notable of all of them but um, yeah what what, what a start to the year for the Toffees. Yeah
1: it's been a great start to the year for them. As you said six points from six so far. Uh, A 5-2 win at home to West Brom in their last game but more impressive I would say is keeping a clean sheet at Spurs and grinding out a 1-0 win there. That would be a game that in previous years Everton would have lost and I was very impressed to see him take the three points and have a clean sheet in you know with, with a lot of new players in the team. They seem to be gelling very quickly and um one player I would single out for a lot of praise. You know, I've been a big fan of his in the past and re- remain that way. So is Dominic Calvert
0: Lewin. Mm-hmm. Calvert Lewin atop the goal scoring charts with four goals in two games. Uh, he had that hat trick against West Brom. Um uh, one of the scrappier hat tricks I've ever mm-hmm. seen. A real just like Poacher's right hat-trick. place right place, right time. Uh, but you know, the the goals count no matter how they come. Uh yeah, it's it's been fantastic for him, you know, putting himself back in the English conversation that he might have he might have fallen a bit out of at the end of last season. Um, but with Euros coming up next summer, cross our fingers. Um, It's good for him to to find this form. And then, as I mentioned, James Rodriguez was that marquee signing in the summer, coming over from Real Madrid after a a pretty tough time, tough past few years there. And a lot of the time, I I feel as though these these big, huge, world-class signings uh, kind of maybe regress a bit to the level that they're they're going to or are not able to to meet the meet the standard but james looked fantastic in that game against west Brom. he got a goal himself uh, was really dictating the play quite a bit and back to his i would say circa 2013-esque form
1: yeah, I, he's a great player, and it's funny you think about all of these signings that come in. Uh, some of them just really hit the ground running, and other ones just take even a full season to really bet in and start showing their best. So he's a model professional. I've been I'm fortunate enough to have actually seen Hamis Rodriguez play for Colombia against the cool. U.S. Um, uh, that was out in Santa Clara a couple of years ago. Great, great player. Saw him play in the Flash, just as good. In real life, as he looks on TV, he's a got a heck of a left foot. He's a he's a tidy, tidy player. So a coup for Everton, I would say to to have him on their roster. And Ancelotti is the man that's making all of that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ancelotti was, you know, th- this is exactly what Everton fans would have hoped when signing Angelotti was not only bringing in a world-class manager, but bringing in a manager that could attract world-class talent. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Andre Gomez also uh, picking up a good run of form to begin the season. And and now uh, Everton is seeming like such a, a deeper team than they once were. I know that uh, they've often been but the butt of many of my jokes, but I, I really do feel confident confident for them this year and I, I think that they're bring, brimming with not only confidence but also uh, quality across the board.
1: Yeah definitely I think you know just the the strength and depth that they have now is very impressive. Gilfie Sigurdsson not even getting in the starting lineup. Moisa Keen I think was playing on the bench a lot last season as well but just a great person to be able to bring off the bench and then he brought Alex Iwobi off as well so the starting lineup for Everton's starting to look really really impressive Luca Dean continues to be a great player for them as well could it be the year for Everton where they surpass the Everton Cup and potentially make a European qualification for the first time in a while
0: I think this year is as good as any um I yeah I mean we'll, we'll see what happens but in the next 36 games in the season. But uh, I do think you have to be pretty confident, and rightly so, as an Everton fan right now.
1: Yep, definitely. So over to the other side of Merseyside, uh, the red side of Merseyside, if you will, Liverpool. So an interesting start to the season for them. Looking at them with six points from six available, two wins, they've scored plenty of goals, Um, they've scored six goals, and they've got three against. But it doesn't quite tell the whole story, does it, Zach?
0: It doesn't. There was almost a, a, a massive scare uh, on uh, on Anfield on week one against newly promoted Leeds. Uh, this crazy, crazy 4-3 uh, victory that the Liverpool was able to pull out on a, a last-minute Mo Salah uh, goal to complete his hat-trick. But uh, a very, yeah, very, very shaky game. There was a goal scored by Jack Harrison. Uh, shout out to him on Leeds, the the young English winger, where he just absolutely uh, made made Trent Alexander-Arnold do an absolute hot dog on the, on the wing and, and made him look like a rookie defender. And then later in the match, Virgil van Dyke giving away the ball to Patrick Bamford for another goal. So very uncharacteristic of um, the two players that you'd say are probably the most sure-handed defenders in their respective position in the league. Uh, but then, again, as Liverpool almost always does, able to rebound with a very impressive win away against Chelsea. So, yeah, a tale of two games, I would say, for Liverpool. But I think that what makes Jurgen Klopp such a good manager is his ability to essentially you know, have that next-up mentality and say, all right, one game is done, we got the win you know, things to work on, but we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, dwell on what happened. Right.
1: I think that you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it wasn't their best performance, but they still got the win. Um, you mentioned him there as well. I'm going to go early this week, Zach, and I'm going to give Patrick Bamford, my Adam's stamp of approval for the week, two goals in two games for a striker that they were concerned was not going to be able to cut it in the premier league. They brought in Rodrigo. He gave away a penalty in that game. He's not going to be as good as as they think he's going to be. I said that in the last podcast too. Patrick Bamford for me, stamp of approval for the week. Back to Liverpool, though. Uh, After that tough game against Leeds, they come to Stamford Bridge, and they win 2-0 at Stamford Bridge. Now, there were some some big talking points in that game, obviously. There was a sending off, I think a correct sending off. Uh, Jorgensen was sent off in the first half for, for Chelsea. Um, and then mm-hmm. Mane came in and did the business and scored two goals in the second half. But as well, there was a missed penalty in that in that game. Thiago actually came on as a substitute and gave away that that penalty. Allison bailed him out, um, so there was no no goal for Chelsea in their first home game of the season. But you know, lot, lot other talking points: a Kepa mistake in that game. Fabinho was in at centre back because they didn't have any centre backs to to partner Virgil Van Dijk. Just a lot, uh, lots of lots to digest there, I think, Zach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um I, to I guess go from the top down of the, the talking points that you just mentioned, yes, a correct red card for uh, Christensen tackling the last man and it doesn't matter that it was pretty far outside the box. You I mean he prevented a clear goal scoring opportunity. Uh Kepper its a belaga. it's getting to the point of like you almost have to feel bad for the lad because he is playing some of the worst goalkeeping football I have ever seen in the Premier League right now. Uh, that The mistake where just leisurely, you know, completely miscalculated Sadio Mane's pace and um, tried to just casually kick the ball out and Mane took it right off his boot and put it in the back of the net. Just simple, simple stuff to avoid. Uh, and then and then finally, yeah, the the Fabinho fill-in. F- Fabinho kind of acts uh, in a similar role to Eric Dyer, in the in the sense that th- what makes him such an attractive player in a lot of ways is the flexibility to drop him back into defense, uh, although his natural position certainly in the defensive part of midfield. So, or yeah, really, really entertaining game and kind of the the typical Liverpool uh, high octane football that you'd expect to see.
1: Yeah, I, there's a, a podcast I enjoy listening to called The Two Robbies with Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl, and Robbie Earl made a quote. In that that really stuck with me i thought was worth mentioning here on the pod too he said fabinho as a makeshift center back was a better center back than any chelsea center back um in that game and probably better than any they have on the roster including tiago silva
0: i like that i mean again fabinho is a a fantastic footballer and it's largely because he can so easily transition backwards and it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're just putting and he's sort of band-aid on, on the issue. He really can fill in delightfully so. Uh, but but from Liverpool and Everton to kind of a cross league, I, I know we said that there are five teams that uh, have remained undefeated. Um, amongst those other five, what, what have you noticed in... Uh, you know, that, that has particularly impressed you. I, I, we might as well start with Palace because they're the team that will probably be in the top five for the least amount of time after we record this podcast. Yeah, I'm sure. We've, we've talked
1: about Everton. I think they would naturally fall into the that the category of who's impressed us. Um, Crystal Palace, I think, are overperforming right now, but credit to them. I think a lot of people had them going down, myself included. Um, Southampton, we'll get to them a little bit later. They've kind of almost flip-flopped with Southampton where they were expected teams to be in the league right now. So Palace, two wins from two. They beat Southampton in that first game. And then they went to Manchester United. And they beat Manchester United at Old Trafford. Wolf Saha three goals on the season, goes back to Old Trafford and scores two goals in that game. Just incredible. Uh, defensively, they're looking really, really solid again. that. Only one goal conceded in two games so far. Uh, I made this shout at the end of last season as well. Uh, Guaita for Palace, very underrated keeper. I think he does an awesome job. He keeps um, my my heart and soul, Wayne Hennessy, out of the team there. Welsh International, Welsh number one, will have the uh, all-time number of caps here in the near future. So he's he's got to be a good keeper and he is, but do, how long do you think they can sustain this sort of form? towards the top half of the league at least
0: uh i i mean yes i i think that they will regress they will regress a little bit as we saw last year with um sheffield united for example a team that i think was in third after two weeks if my memory serves correct uh and obviously did not end in that position but Um, Actually, no, that's backwards. Sheffield United started last year without winning a game in two games, so totally got that wrong. But uh, nonetheless, I I think the Palace has an improved team right now. I think their issue is still goals. I don't know where the goals are going to come from throughout the season. Uh, Wilfred Zaha, as you said, he, he has three goals so far two against Palace, or excuse me, two against Man U, um, the second of which was on a bit of a controversial goal when Andre Ayew missed a penalty and David De Gea was called for stepping off his line, which is something that is never called and I would almost (laughs) guarantee happens every single time a penalty is taken. Uh, It's kind of like... Uh, my my roommate came up with this comparison when i when i showed him the video he's like that's like calling a defensive three second in the paint in in and the Nba it just never really happens yeah, um it's like a foul but, foul throw <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh but but to, to end this kind of ramble i i do think that palace is a better team than they were last season i think that they won't be in a relegation place as the season progresses but um yeah they they're not gonna be able to maintain this form too much longer going forward.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And as, as you got into the penalty a bit, I think there's one other talking point surrounding that penalty that, that is probably worth discussing. Uh, Victor Lindelof was a judge to have handled the ball um, in the build-up to that goal. So essentially, the new rule is with VAR, if the ball hits a hand in the penalty area and the hand is in an unnatural position, then a penalty will be given. And... The FA are basically saying that an unnatural position is away from your body. So imagine a defender with static, with his arms by his side while moving and running and defending. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I think it's a really... A really silly law to bring in from a VAR standpoint, that's really open to the interpretation of anybody. So it just, I don't think it can be consistently upheld across the board. We saw a similar thing happen for Gabriel for Arsenal this weekend, and it wasn't given, so already we're seeing some discrepancies on, on the VAR assessment of how to enforce that rule of handball in the box.
0: It is really shocking how VAR was such a huge issue and disappointment last season, and and the FA seems to be finding new ways to make it even more of an issue this season. Because you're right, they like there's no there's no sort of margin of error there, and there has to be a margin of error because like th- yeah, like like you said, if if two players are running for a ball and a defender's arm is swinging as you as any human being's arm would when they run, uh, and it brushes their finger, like is that that's a penalty? It, it just it's it's inane. It's idiotic, um, and it is a classic move by the English FA. Yeah, I mean
1: it matches. You remember the law last year was if you're an attacker and at any point it hits your hand, then the goal would and a goal results from it. It would be disallowed, and we saw that happen a couple times. So I guess just nobody handle the ball in the box unless you're a goalkeeper, and that's probably the safest way to get around this. Yeah,
0: it's yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be horrible. Some somebody's gonna lose a game in the 93rd minute because of a a penalty call that has no no semblance of a penalty call five years ago yep
1: i i totally agree all right on, on to the next team zach who's who's another team that might have impressed you so far this season
0: oh man i mean there there are a few to choose from but i think that there's, there's one team in particular uh living in in the uh in the southwest part of England that I I would love to give a shout out to. My my Leicester boys, my my boys in baby blue, uh, back at the top of the league. We're not gonna blow it this season. Um, uh, yeah, I mean Leicester has looked great. It's been it's been exciting to watch them uh, get back to those those kind of free scoring ways that we expected last season. Jamie Vardy is completely back and playing distributor now a little bit with a really nice assist in their last match. But um, yeah, Leicester, you got to give credit where credit's due. Leicester has proved since um, their return to the Premier League six seasons ago that they know how to replace. Players who, who Important players who get bought in the summer. And the most recent example of that is Ben Chilwell going to Chelsea. And Castagne, uh, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Castagne? Right. Uh, um, yeah, filling in at right back and two, two games in, getting a lot of plaudits.
1: Yeah, he's been doing really, really well. Um, pulling in goals, assists, um, and just slotting in like we... We said some other players don't, so so credit to him there. Another player I think I'd call out for, Leicester, who's been scoring goals but really has just kind of come on leaps and bounds over the last 12 months is Harvey Barnes. He looks like a player, do you think, Zach, that might be able to, to make a push for Gareth Southgate's Euro squad? Uh, Gareth Southgate...
0: I I wouldn't bet anything on whatever line of reasoning Gareth Southgate has been using uh, in the last couple months for his England selections, but I think that Harvey Bonds is probably one of those fringe midfielders. Unfortunately for him, midfield is where England is probably at their deepest at the moment, so... Um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But him, James Madison back from injury, I, I that was really partially what derailed Leicester at the end of last season was a lot of injuries across the board. So it's good to see them back to full health. Hopefully they can keep it up.
1: Yeah, hope so too. They're, they're a good team when they're on form. Really, really exciting to watch. Okay, on to another team. Lots to talk about here, Zach. Arsenal, um, fresh off of winning the Charity Shield. That's what we're still calling it. Two wins from two. Both London derbies for them. They beat Fulham at Fulham, and then they proceeded to beat West Ham at home. For two very different games, I would say. But again, two wins for Arsenal and six points from six. Biggest talking point, I think, for Arsenal right now. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has signed a new three-year deal at Arsenal. Um, And Arteta, instrumental in making that happen. Really sold him the idea of becoming an Arsenal legend by staying on at 31 years old for the next three years. What are your thoughts on really how Arsenal are doing and the Aubameyang signing in
0: general? I mean, I, I truly think that this was the most important thing for Arsenal in the summer. I was keeping Pierre and Mark Aubameyang. Uh, I think like we, we often joke about when a manager says, you know, keeping a player or getting a player back from injury or something like that is quote-unquote like a new signing. But I truly think that that is the case with Aubameyang just because of how heavily he influences everything that Arsenal does. And the three-year deal is massive because it also gives Arteta a little bit more breathing room to, to kind of reconstruct that team in his vision. I think it would be still a bit worrisome if Aubameyang signed a, a one-year extension or said, I'll stay until next summer and then we can we can figure it out from there. But the fact that he's committing to this medium-term deal definitely expresses the the effect that Arteta had on him and uh, and just making him even more beloved to, to, to the Arsenal faithful. So it, it is exciting to see that for a club that has kind of you know, had had their issues abound over the last few years, and a Aubameyang and Lacazette could could I think they could potentially go down as as one of the you know one of the top striking duos in at least the last 25 30 years in the Premier League. Yep, uh,
1: I mean they're they're an awesome front two. We've talked about this many times in the past. On paper possibly the strongest front two in the Premier League on their day um, and just just obviously banging in goals. It's been Lacazette actually who's been back amongst the goals. He kind of had a quiet end to last season uh, but has two for the year now. And Nketiah has actually scored one in the Premier League and then scored another one this week in the, um, in the Carabao Cup. So good to see Arsenal with plenty of options up front. That said, one of the areas where we were very critical of them last season was at the back what are you making of Gabriel and the influence that he's making so far to the Arsenal lineup?
0: Yeah, so, so if, if Aubameyang is a, a, like a new signing, Gabriel is the greatest signing that Arsenal has made in the last 15 years just because centre-back was the position they they, they seem to never be able to get right, and he has looked fantastic so far. Um, you said that there was that kind of controversy with a handball that maybe should have been called in the last game against him, but uh, I, I think that he really is a... He's young, he's confident and again, it's it's Arteta kind of playing this chess match with how can I build this team for the future, not just for right now? And I think it's paying off already. Yeah,
1: Gabriel looks like a tidy player to me. I think you know, with him with him there and, you know, being able to command players around him, he looks like a leader on the field already. Popped up with a goal from a corner in the first game as well against Fulham. I see bright bright things ahead for Arsenal right now. Things are definitely looking up after what was very much a transitional and a season without a lot of promise until Arteta came in last year.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I think very few people would have expected Arsenal to be the highest uh, of the of the London clubs two games into the season. Um, but it's 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 good to see uh, that that kind of paradigm shift a little bit. Um, but away from London, maybe a bit lower down the table, it's easy to credit the teams that haven't dropped a point yet. Uh, but there are a couple of teams that, that have dropped points that are still looking a bit impressive, kind of punching above their weight. And I, I think the most obvious one there is is Leeds, uh, the newly promoted side. We, we talked about their barnstorming uh, first match against Liverpool, almost getting a result away at Anfield. Um, and so, you know, they, they have dropped a match, but a, a good rebound against West Brom and looking like exactly, Exactly what we hoped to see out of a uh, Marcelo Bielsa team just playing this incredible tempo attack and and no fear from those lads. It's Bielsa ball, Zach. Bielsa ball.
1: Two, four, three games in succession for Leeds. One that they won, one that they lost. Just really, really great to watch. You know you're going to get an entertaining open game when Leeds play this season. So, uh, again, I mentioned Patrick Bamford, who I've been impressed with. Some other players that I would say have note for Leeds so far. Elder Costa and Matthias Klitsch have um, both looked pretty good so far. Um, the center back that we talked about in the last um, podcast, Koch, or Koch is has conceded two penalties in two games against the two sides that he's played against. So He's got to obviously fi- figure that out, but, but at the end of the day this Leeds team are going to be like a Kevin Keegan's Newcastle team. They're going to go at it. They're not going to necessarily be tight at the back but they're going to try and score more goals than you do that's the the goal for them
0: that's a football a brand of football i wish i could watch on on a weekly basis in for the lads in the black and white stripes but it is exciting to to see that team you know kind of uh chomping at the bit when they came up to the Premier League and they obviously had so much momentum behind them you know winning the title and uh, this being their first appearance in the top flight for what, 16 years I believe so it, it's cool to see that type of confidence and they certainly have the right man in charge to lead them uh, as far as they can go in the goal scoring charts
1: yeah it's, you, you were in single digits when Leeds were last in the Premier League Zach so um,
0: just it's true just,
1: that's a good point just want to throw it out there that like you haven't seen a Leeds versus Manchester United game yet in the Premier League, no, you, I you are going to you are going to very much enjoy <laughs> the fierce no, wish, competition that,
0: that is a Leeds menu game. I wish that supporters were going to be at that game, or, or maybe it's better that they won't be at the game uh, for the sake of everybody there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of competition between those two clubs, and to your point, it will be sad if there's no supporters there. Actually, I don't know if you heard that, but um, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said this week that it's going to be at least March until. Um, People are allowed back into stadiums in the Premier League just because a lot of the coronavirus things happening in the world right now Um, and rates are going up. So they've said March would be the earliest. So it's certainly going to be not a lot of the season if we do have fans in the stand. We're going to continue to have the crowd noise pumped in for for a little bit longer.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bummer, but I think it's the right call, um, especially as Boris Boris Johnson's government has screwed up everything else when it comes to when it comes to coronavirus. So that's my that's my one political plug for the day. Uh, Boris Johnson's an absolute knob, but people in uh, glass it is cool. people in glass houses should not throw stones. at. Oh, that's mm, fair point. Uh, okay, um, two's t- t- company, I guess you could say, but. <laughs> So, so, to go away from the uh, the NATO politics of the day, uh, <laughs> um, and on to Brighton, and this is yes, that's the best transition I've ever made on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Brighton, Brighton, another another club that has started off well at the expense of Newcastle United. Adam, would you say it's we have enough evidence and enough fodder at this point to? officially declare Brighton Albion of all clubs to be Newcastle's boogeyman. Yeah, we, we definitely don't play well against Brighton. It's funny because we actually played pretty well
1: against them when we were in the championship, but since we've both been back up in the Premier League, it's, it's not been pretty watching for us. That said, I think very much if you think about the quality of managers at the two clubs and the backing that they've had, well, maybe that's not even fair. I think Bruce has had some decent backing in the transfer market. I just think Graham Potter's a far better manager with a far better attacking mindset um, and, and just better tactics all around. Like Brighton mm-hmm. outplayed us. They played us off the pitch. It was 3-0, honestly, Zach. It could have been 6 or 7. They had so many chances. We were inept. We had one chance, free header in front of goal for Callum Wilson, couldn't make it. But Brighton were clinical in the chances that they took. Tariq Lamptey, youngster from Chelsea, who decided he didn't want to sign a contract with them because he wanted to play every week. He's 19 years old. He terrorized the left-hand side of Newcastle's team. Terrorized them. We had um, Alan St. Maximin, who gave the penalty away at the beginning of the game. Lamptey was the one that ran into the box and was hauled down for that. And then that same side of the field, Lamptey again getting involved and then setting up the Mope goal as well. Just in- incredible youngster who I hadn't heard of, in all honesty, before this game. Where where to Brighton? find these players. They've brought in a lot of great players like Mope and Trossard and, and Tariq Lamptey now just really, really impressive recruitment on the, on the uh, Brighton Hove Albion side.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Br- Brighton is almost kind of taking a page out of early 2010 early 2010s Newcastle's book because they, they are focusing a lot on the French market. Neil Mopé, uh, Pascal Gros, or Pascal Gross came from the Bundesliga, but Neil Mopé and... Um, Trossard. Who else did you just mention? Yeah, just Trossard, Trossard. Both coming from France. Exactly, but... Uh, Yeah, Lamptey, I had not heard of him either. Again, I I think the common theme this week is just confidence among players. And I think that Lamptey is exhibiting that as well and is is kind of trying to put his money where his mouth is. Lewis Dunk continues to be that kind of steadfast defender holding down the, the back line for Brighton. And I agree with you. I think that Grand Potter proved in the second half of last year that he he can be not only a manager who writes the ship but also leads a team forward. Um as for his comparison to Steve Bruce statistically any manager who has ever managed in the Premier League is better than Steve Bruce but <laughs> nonetheless I think I think that I think that Potter is yeah doing doing a lot of exciting things um on the South Coast.
1: Ouch. That was harsh. Uh, Graham Potter though,
0: that was uh, that was uh, I w- st- that was statistically, not that statistically, statistically true. accurate, but it was f- that is statistically true Steve Bruce is the worst manager in Premier League history by win percentage it,
1: it, it, it just hurt my heart when you said it though because that's our manager mm-hmm. right now unfortunately uh, Graham Potter that's though just true. to wrap that up I'm a huge fan you know this I've been talking him up for seasons now since he was at Swansea I make a prediction here Zach Graham Potter will be a top eight coach by the end of next season whether that's with Brighton or whether he gets headhunted next season in the off season by a bigger team and coaches them in the Premier League. But Graham Potter will be a top eight coach by the end of next season.
0: That's an interesting thing to say. I mean, I'll ask you this though, like what, what team would be going after a new manager in the next two seasons? Cause like, all right, I'll, I'll just run through a few teams who will probably be, in the top eight, Chelsea. No, they're not going to get a new manager after bringing in Lampard. Manchester, Man, uh, Manchester United. But Manchester United, I think, is too big of a club to be taking on Graham Potter. I don't know. It's they an took on Ole Gunnar I, Solskjaer. What are you talking about? They took a manager from yeah, FC Mold in Norway. That's a, that's a good point. But maybe they don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Graham Potter to Man United by the end of the season. <laughs> Let's say you heard right it now. here first on the
1: False Nines. Graham Potter, new Man United coach after
0: Solskjaer yeah, we're, gets fired. We're, we're, we're the, new, we're the new ITK on Twitter. We're just breaking transfer news eight months <laughs> before it happens.
1: <laughs> That's a little soothsayer stuff there. So, All right, but Brighton, yeah, mm. I think uh, think probably would round out that list of teams that have probably impressed us the most so far, along with a couple players too. So let's move on to the flip side of that coin. Zach, why don't you start us off with a, a team and their players that might have disappointed us in the league so far?
0: Sure, yeah. So I kind of alluded to this earlier, but... Um... Sheffield United, I think, is has been a pretty disappointing one. They they uh, you know ended last season on kind of a downward. I wouldn't go as far as classifying it as a spiral, but a bit of a downward slip. And and now have not picked up any points from their first uh, two games of this season. So um, just really kind of looking lost. Uh, haven't even scored a goal. They're the only team in the Premier League uh, to to have not put one in the back of the net and yeah, I'm, ju- I'm not sure exactly what it is for them. It's 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 been a tough start to the season. I I mean perhaps you can perhaps you could say it's a regression to what was expected, but you know, after such a good and consistent year last year, uh, what do, what do you think it comes down to, Adam? Because I can't really put my finger on it.
1: It could be that second season hangover that you see from a lot of teams. One of the most notable examples I can remember of that is Ipswich when Ipswich overachieved made their way into, I think it was the UEFA Cup at that point, qualified for Europe, got into it. Thank God Sheffield United didn't because that's next season. Um, they actually got relegated Ipswich while competing in the UEFA Cup and then went back down and they haven't been up to the Premier League since. So, I mean, is it a stretch to say that there might be an outside bet for relegation this year, Sheffield United? Is it Obviously, it's a little premature two games in, but even going off the back end of last season, to your point, they just seem to be in a little bit of a downward spiral right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would... (coughs) Excuse me. Um, I'll have to remember to edit that out um i don't know if i would say that there are an outsider's chance for relegation i mean i i think that it's been a tough start to the season and a bit of an unlucky one they you know their their second match uh which was which was this monday getting a red card um against aston villa the the red card going to john egan in the 12th minute so um having to play almost the entire match with uh, a man down but i i mean i i agree i think that last year was a huge overachieving i think that a a mid-table finish will be a, a comfortable, or not a comfortable, but a, a a realistic expectation for them. I also wonder how much of it is losing Dean Henderson, though, because Dean Henderson was easily the you know the, the the shining light of that team last season, and you know now that now that Aaron Ramsdale is between the sticks, I don't know if the confidence is being exuded as much by by the Sheffield United players. Listen,
1: Newcastle put three goals past Dean Henderson after the COVID break last season, so let's not get too excited. Hendo's a good keeper, but every keeper has their day when they're not that strong, and it doesn't help Aaron Ramsdale when, in the 12th minute, one of his star defenders gets sent off. Either does it. Let's be let's be fair on that
0: one. Yeah, you're right. Ramsdale needs to lead a more disciplined back line, needs to communicate a lot better, and and that type of thing won't happen. So I agree with you, Adam. That's, a, a, that's hater. a very very good I, point. I can't wait <laughs> to win that
1: bet against you, Zach
0: uh yeah we'll, we'll see about that one but yeah sheffield united again a, we weren't expecting the world out of them but we were not expecting for them to be this poor uh, off the block either
1: yeah another, another team i think then let's pivot over to teams that performed well last season who who've been a little bit disappointing so far maybe a little harsh because they've only played one game but the manner in which they lost that game at home to crystal palace manchester united have been a team for me that I've been a little bit disappointed with so far. They've got a little bit of drama going on off the field right now. Zach Harry Maguire involved in a fracas in uh, on his summer holiday, uh, unfortunately trying to bribe somebody to to get off the hook there, and that was uh, all reported to the to the authorities over there. And then Mason Greenwood on international duty with England in Iceland, um, bringing a lady friend back to his hotel, where he should not have been due to covid restrictions
0: yeah i mean i i think the latter of the two the mason greenwood thing was total clickbait just blew so far out of proportion it, i mean that that's a typical daily mail or the sun type grab but the harry mcguire uh, issue when he was on his his beach vacation was that was a much bigger deal because you know a lot of circulating rumors that he was being held at knife point and he was defending his his sister and, and then other reports saying that none of that happened that he kind of instigated a fight and almost um Kind of uh, caught somebody, you know, caught somebody flat-footed. Uh, but it's obviously not good to start the season with with that internal drama. And um, yeah, it, it very difficult to take a lot from one match. But again, a match that you don't expect Manchester United to be dropping um and i as you touched upon when we, when we talked about that that match between them and palace it was really the victor lindelof horror show uh, and not not just for the handball that might not have been but lindelof looking out of position looking beat across the ball and across the pitch and i think that they're going to have to sort that out if they want to have the defense that they had last year that there was a a pretty consistently good defense. Yeah, there was a ton of criticism of them
1: in the press of Lindelof and Maguire. But honestly, from an attacking standpoint, they were just inept too. They honestly looked like they were still on their summer holidays. They looked like they were not interested, just hadn't really had a long preseason, weren't really up for it, just looked like... you know, And and now they're zero points from one game, right? And they're three points behind, six points behind Liverpool with a game in hand. But they're three points off the pace already, and they want to close the gap this season. Those are games that they need to win against teams like. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. That's a no. That that is a really great point. You're right. They they can't be dropping these if they're if they're looking to repeat in in third or higher. So I I agree. I think that it it did seem like they just weren't. Fully there, and maybe maybe it is this kind of like complex that comes with being a Manchester United player and looking at a team like Crystal Palace and being like, oh, you know, they're 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 just Crystal Palace. We can, you know, we we can slide our way past them there. And I think that that, that is something that we we see time and time again in the Premier League. It's a league that's known for any team can beat any other team on their day, and mm-hmm. we we saw it last weekend.
1: Yeah, even with the the golf and quality between the two sides, Palace were up for it. Men you weren't, and they got found out. That's basically the gist of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, The one thing I would say about Manchester United that was good to see was Donny van der Beek in his debut. The Dutchman uh, looked quite nice. He got a goal and a kind of a a smart finish uh, on a a bit of a rebound, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fits into that side throughout the season. You'd have to expect that he'll be starting at least most of the time, but they have a lot of attacking players at Manchester United, so it comes down to, in my mind, how good of a job can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do in in rotating that squad? Yeah,
1: right, and I learned something, actually, in watching the, the game highlights. It's van de Beek, like baking a cake, bake. baking a cake, mm. and to bake—that's the, apparently the uh, the way it's pronounced over there.
0: So there you go. Dutch is a Dutch is a fascinating language, isn't mm-hmm. it?
1: Yep, it it absolutely is. Did you know the word "adam" in Dutch
0: actually means to breathe? Believe it or not, I did not know that, mm-hmm. but I, I do know it now, and that's we should now start a uh, a Dutch word segment. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners will be tuning out in their droves. Zach. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we'll lose everybody immediately. Mass exodus. Um, Okay, let's move on to another club, though. So we're going to keep kind of bouncing around uh, the Premier League. I I would say that Manchester United um, is really the only team that I expect to be quite high on the table that has disappointed me so far. But uh, a team that you might have expected to be a bit lower and and have been lower uh, is Fulham. And they are just like, they're really not looking like they're they're ready for the Premier League quite this moment yeah definitely Fulham I
1: thought actually um was texting with some friends during the first game against Arsenal I said Fulham will get relegated this season I'm calling it a game in Fulham are down they look like relegation fodder they teams are scoring against them for fun seven goals against them in two games they just don't look like they can necessarily hang and they've got some goals with them they've proved that against Leeds but it was Leeds Zach and everybody's going to score against Leeds this season right I just don't think that Fulham have enough in the tank to be able to compete at this level um, and they've put a ton of money into that club uh, I really don't think that they've got it
0: well what's also I think quite disappointing for Fulham and, and worrisome as well is that you know giving up four goals to to Leeds really really sticks out because they played Leeds twice last season they knew exactly what to expect when going up against Leeds and Leeds a a team that have not had a lot of changes in the summer either and so if you're giving up four goals to a team that you you that theoretically you should be the most familiar with out of any other team in the Premier League like that is a big big problem you see Scott Parker on the sideline looking kind of dejected throughout that match but it it it's it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of the opposite of Leeds in a way, where uh, you know, it's gonna be about how many goals can they score, but I think with Leeds, we're pretty confident that they'll at least be able to stay up with a decent defense. With Fulham, it's more about, you know, can they even keep their head above water?
1: Yeah. I mean you in the Premier League, Zach, you cannot score three goals in a game away from home and take zero points from that game. You just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be tighter at the back than that. To to, to get that many goals on the road is, is, is incredible, but then to say that you had four scored against you just really kind of ruins it, right? And I think one of the signings who I think will be helpful for them, Alphonse Ariola. Um he's in a loan signing that came in from Liga, and he's actually basically number two right now in the French national team. Um who's he behind right now? Um Spurs Keeper. He's uh, about yeah. Hugo Lloris. Yeah, Hugo Lloris, exactly. Yeah, so rumors that he will be the long-term replacement for him. So a good pickup for them. Let's see if he can he can do anything there. But just worried for them, Zach. Now, that said, Mitra already has more goals in the Premier League this season than Joe Linton had in the whole of last season. So we'll take that as one bright spot for Fulham.
0: That's true. Uh, a nice header for his second goal against um, against Leeds in that that loss. Mitrovic seems to somehow continue to get bigger. I don't know how it's possible, but I was watching him in that game, and he looks like he's—what what do you think he is? I, I think he's probably like, oh, God, two, 230, 240 at this point? He looks enormous.
1: Who would you back in a fight? alexander Mitrovic or
0: Adibayo? Adibayo, fucking Don't <laughs> uh, don't even finish that question. You, you the you're, beast. You're, you're a traitor. Yeah, the beast. Absolutely. <laughs> Although Mitro is is a psychopath, and we know that very well. Mitro, uh, Mitro would probably pull pull a
1: knife or maybe like glass him or something like that. That seems like something Mitrovic would do. Mm-hmm. No, without a doubt. Fight, there's, fight there's dirty. No question. Fight dirty. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right, well, going from Mitro, a former Newcastle player, let's go ahead and pivot over to the current Newcastle team. Looked pretty good in the first game, Zach. Uh, played played pretty phenomenally well, I would say. Very attacking, flowing football. 2-0 winners. Both new players scoring. Callum Wilson and Jeff Hendrick in that game. Really, really encouraging to watch. And then all of a sudden, we're back to the same garbage we saw the tail end of last season, and we're getting humiliated by Brighton. What's the real Newcastle right now? Two games in with such contrasting games that we got to see. What is our identity right
0: now? Who are Newcastle? Our identity is a club that is forced into whatever cookie cutter tactic that Steve Bruce thinks should be implemented for an entire season. And this is my, this is my kind of rant for the day. And I know that, at times I, I go a bit too heavy handed on Steve Bruce and maybe try to try to push opinions, but the the game against Brighton you you look at that match and and you look at Brighton and you say, Okay, this is a team that is completely different from West Ham. Mm-hmm. A completely, completely different side. West Ham a lot more of an attacking side, kind of, you know, depend on their wingers and depend on their their play uh through the the middle of midfield through Mark Noble and uh Suicek, but but are really that kind of more up tempo team. And then you have Brighton, a team that is incredibly, incredibly good at holding a strong back line. They have physical defenders and they know how to just kind of buckle it down. And yet Steve Bruce goes with the exact same lineup and the exact same tactics that he went with in the first match. And it's just, it's so frustrating because that's like such a sign of a one-dimensional manager is when you can't realize that just because you won 2-0 doesn't mean that that exact game plan is going to work in the next week. It's it's just like, it's bonkers to me how you could think that that's going to happen. That's like thinking that, you know, you win the first game of the season and we assume that we're going to go 38 0 this season. And that's what you saw against Brighton is we were playing long balls to Andy Carroll when Brighton's best skill is defending the long ball. They have an incredibly physical back line. It's just like, like you're playing so into their own hands, and then eventually, what always happens with Newcastle is we get tired because we're not a well-conditioned club, and then we get hit on the break like we did against Brighton. Um, it, it was a very, 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 very frustrating one, um, and I think that. I think that there is still a lot to be worked on, even with a handful of positive signings. We we need to have a team. We can't just have Callum Wilson and you know Ryan Frazier be the 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 fix all, the end all be all for the club.
1: Yeah, I think about just kind of my my personal life um, from a work standpoint, and I've I've led teams, I've managed a lot of people in the past, and you know, as a good manager, that you don't coach and develop people in the same way. Everybody has unique personalities. Everybody has unique strengths and weaknesses, and you work to cater to their strengths and weaknesses. And that's exactly what Steve Bruce needs to do. Now, he could play the same team. I have no problem with him playing the same team. But if he doesn't adapt his tactics to fit the team that he's playing against, and try and kind of adapt in in that way to, to be able to kind of counter their strengths, Just doesn't work, Zach. It doesn't work at all. And, you know, he's just he's not rotating again. Two consecutive games in the Premier League in a row. The fixtures are coming thick and fast this year, Zach. Like we we've literally got three less weeks in the Premier League season this season to fit in all the same games that we normally would have, including all the cups. So that means that we're gonna be playing two games pretty much most weeks, unless we get knocked out of the cup, which at this point might be a blessing. Um just to see us kind of be able to concentrate on the league. We need to rotate. I'm glad we did today against Morcom. I'll, I'll say, you know, we brought in really kind of our B team against uh, Morcom today. With the exception of maybe a couple of players like like Almiron, although he hasn't started in the last two games. I think, in summary, I would say Bruce needs to really figure out these tactics. And I think you mentioned conditioning. We're racking up injuries like crazy right now. Saint Maximin, Dubrovka, Gale, Maddie Longstaff, Shar. Lewis was a weird one got kicked in the face so that's that's a strange one but Dummets hasn't been healthy for what seems like two seasons now it, we got to start getting the fitness up as well
0: Mm-hmm. It's it really it really truly blows my mind that, that Steve Briss still gets managerial jobs and it's not based on the the managerial record although it should be but it's exactly that it's coaching one oh fucking one that you know not every team is the same team not every side that you go against is is going to offer you the same opportunities and. Uh, it's just so frustrating because you know that's what you're gonna get out of him as a manager, and then you're gonna get these these you know horse post game interviews where he says uh, you know I, the lads looked great, we we had a couple of great opportunities, we. You know, we, we weren't good enough. I hope that we can be better going forward. It's like you, you're not somebody sitting on the sideline. It, it almost sounds to me sometimes like Steve Bruce is saying these quotes as if he's a spectator like the rest of us. It's like, oh, I, I hope the lads can put in a better performance next week. It's like, do do your job. Get these players fit and and know how to rotate a team and, and you know, get everybody get everybody going and get everybody performing at their best level. It's just, it's tough. It's tough right yeah. now.
1: And it doesn't get any easier, Zach. Tough run of fixtures in the Premier League coming up. Our next five, Spurs away, Burnley at home. Burnley, not not fantastic so far this season, but always a tough game. Man U at home, Wolves away, Everton at home. How many points do you see from those five games?
0: Oh, man. Um... two if we are i i would say two two to four is i'd say four is the ceiling two is a more realistic guess i think we can get a point against burnley uh probably get a point against wolves uh especially now that wolves have lost diogo jota um which i found out about today and uh yeah, I'd say two. 2. 2 to 4. I'll I'll probably stick with 2 though. I, I don't see us getting points off Spurs. I don't see us getting points off Everton. I'd say Man U is that would be a long shot as well.
1: That would put us at 5 points with 7 games played. <laughs> it's relegation
0: form right there. Mhm. Mhm, mhm. It is. Uh yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I you know, Two, two weeks is a very short period of time to to you know lambast everything about the club but it just it seems like this is something that we see time in and time out it never really gets changed
1: it's true all right so the last team then we're gonna pivot into for teams that have disappointed us Southampton uh, really high expectations of them going into this season they haven't really delivered so far. Danny Ings has scored twice in the league. We'd expect Danny Ings to score, but they have zero points on the board. And in the last game, oh my word, that looked like it could be akin to the Leicester 9-0 win that happened last season. Mm-hmm. Young menson Son and Harry Kane just destroyed Southampton in that last game.
0: Yeah, it was... I mean, that was... I, I would also want to give credit to Spurs because they were playing... That was one of the best matches I've ever seen two players collectively have as as uh Harry Kane assisted all four of Youngmin Son's goals which is just a crazy thing to think about but yeah Southampton very slow very sluggish at the back um you know Ings continues to to put himself in a very high place in the English con- England conversation I, I think like Honestly, at this point, for, for Danny Ings, all it would take is a Harry Kane injury for him to, in my mind, be the top striker uh, for that for that country. But uh, it's 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 always hit or miss with Southampton. They'll they'll win five of six and then they'll lose their next eight. You never really know where you're going to get out of uh, the club, even pre Raffhouse and Yeah,
1: it's it's Southampton haven't really strengthened much in this off season, and it shows. Three words for you that might explain a downtick in form. Pierre-Emile Heuberg,
0: Big, big mm-hmm. loss for
1: them over the summer. Didn't really replace him. And he was very instrumental in the heart of midfield for Southampton over the last few seasons.
0: They let him go for £14 million. Pounds. Yeah, and signed, signed Four- Kyle Walker-Peters for almost the same total. <laughs> £14 million for arguably your best midfielder not named James Ward-Prowse. Spurs, like- Spurs doing some good business. Zach Doherty as well for about 12 or 13 I believe and 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 now the welsh king is coming home as well, we'll, get, I, we'll get, I gotta be honest we'll get, we'll get there we'll yeah. get there okay we're almost there but yeah i'd say wrapping it up on southampton it's you know you never know what to expect they're they're a mid-table side through and through and i think they showed it on the last week yeah they go on these kind
1: of streaks don't they have poor form and then have good form so maybe a good form streak is right around the corner for them who knows
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a quick commercial break and then we will, uh, wrap up, uh, with some transfer news, just kind of summing it up with only a couple weeks left in the transfer window, but a lot of big news to talk about. Then we'll, we'll hit 10 and 90 and call it a day, Adam. All right. Welcome back to the
1: false nines. We're getting straight into transfer news now. And Zach, I want to start with three words for you. Wales, golf spurs gareth bale our lord and savior is back in the premier
0: league give him a round of applause there gareth bale gareth bale i gotta what? be I, I gotta be honest like i i don't think i've ever been this excited for a signing that newcastle didn't make and it's just because like the storyline on this is amazing like everything that has happened when he was at spurs since he left spurs like and the fact that like Harry Kane and Gareth Bale will be playing together, this is like what I like. I, I was I was just really excited for my brother and my father, who are huge Spurs fans, to just say like, "You've been waiting for this for ten seasons. Like this has been the dream they've had since Harry Kane like started coming up through the academy. Maybe not ten seasons, but um, the last six or so like." It's unbelievable to me that Gareth Bale will be playing for Spurs this season, but I could not be more excited. Incredible. Uh, so,
1: so impressed that they got him. Uh, expensive loan as well, rumored to be about $13 million just for a season-long loan deal to get him in for one year. And, and obviously he's got some fitness things to prove as well, but just excited to see him back in the Premier League. And flown under the radar a little bit, maybe, I guess, for, for the more casual Premier League fan, Sergio Regulon coming in for $32 million from Real Madrid. He's come in to basically take over the left-back position from Ben Davis, also another Welshman, so um, interesting to see that. Uh, but, yeah, see, by all intents and purposes, he was the best left-back in La Liga last season.
0: Yeah, the Regulon yeah, the, the signing is amazing. It's an amazing signing for them, and the fact that they're getting him on a permanent deal is remarkable uh so yeah Spurs have done a fantastic job Doherty uh Hoiberg now Bale at Regulon, like that's just a bonkers uh summer for for the the side so I'm yeah I'm excited for when Bale gets match fit because uh, I mean I, Son Kane and Bale like that's just a crazy crazy front three and yeah. it'll be exciting to see it
1: it sure is. So from Spurs on to Liverpool, we mentioned him a little bit earlier on. Thiago came in from Bayern Munich. Quite an incredible signing for them and a bargain at that um, at that amount as well for 25 million, 15 million less than Joe Linton. Basically, my my lever is always 40 million for Joe Linton. And I think if it's less than that or more than that, they got a good or a bad deal.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good way of evaluating things. <laughs> and especially for a man who started in the Champions League final, the fact that he's under the Joe Linton uh number is is pretty pretty crazy but uh and then Diogo Jota another huge signing uh, one of the better I'd say one of the top three players for Wolves last season that one's really interesting I'm not sure where he is going to fit in exactly uh in that Liverpool side because just because that they, they play that four three three 3 3 and he, he typically plays more on the wing but uh, you know, perhaps it's maybe preparing for a potential uh, potential leaving of one of their their top three players. What what do you think of that signing?
1: It's an interesting one. Diego Jota, the only player in the Europa League last season to score multiple hat tricks as well for Wolves. Incredible player. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Is he coming in to provide competition for the front three, um, a la Divacarigi, or is he coming in to maybe start? <sighs> I'm torn on this one. I don't know if it's the best move for him in his career. Obviously, it's a great club, but Wolves are a great club, too. They're making some big moves in the transfer market. We'll get to them in a few minutes, but I don't quite know where he fits in there, Zach.
0: Am I the only one there? No, I, I think that it, it was that kind of like... Uh, yeah, I when I heard about this move, I thought you know maybe it's the brand name that he's signing on for rather than the immediate opportunity because I I think it's always good to have competition for for your starters but like Salah Mane and Firmino and even the midfield at at Liverpool where Jota wouldn't really fit into a central midfield role like they're they're performing at the top level there doesn't seem to be any sort of complacency uh, anywhere on that that field so for jota a player who is i believe 23 years of age so really you know breaking out at the moment uh, i don't I don't think it's the best move for him right now, unless there is some sort of, you know, internal talk at Liverpool that we don't know about about some large scale changes happening at the club. But we'll have to see what happens. You know, Liverpool a pretty pretty well run uh, organization, so they probably have the the best intentions in mind.
1: Yeah, you'd you'd hope there's a game plan for him there because he's too good a player to be sitting on the bench, right? Uh, on to
0: Everton. We talked about them. We'll, we'll
1: skip over this pretty quickly. James Rodriguez for 22 million from Real Madrid. Abdoulaye de Kore for 20 million from Watford and Allen for 22 million from Napoli. All these 20 million plus signings, they're making a statement in the transfer market this season and they're putting them right into the team. No betting in period. They're all starting right away.
0: Yeah, I mean Everton is you know, they are they're really kicking the tires as much as possible at the moment and and just running as fast as they can to to try to try to avoid the Everton cup. So I it's exciting to see that DeCorey was, I I would argue, probably the, the most sought after releg- relegated player last season. Um, and for him to, to go to Everton along with with James, like what what a midfield that you would never would have expected them to have about a year ago. Yeah,
1: pretty incredible midfield. Absolutely. OK, on to Villa. Ollie Watkins in from Brentford. Um think was he no he wasn't top scorer in the championship I think he was second top scorer in the championship last last season if behind right. Mitrovic yes. was top. yeah exactly but I mean incredible player they missed out on Callum Wilson who we'll get to in a second and they went after Ollie Watkins and brought him in for 33 million breaking their club transfer mm-hmm. record it's a big signing for them but will he be the answer we've been here before Zach with these big striker signings for Villa is he finally the one that kind of is the uh silver bullet if you will
0: I mean, it, spending that much on a player from the championship is a really questionable move. I think it's it's a, a, your your classic case of an overpriced English, young English player. I mean, we see this every single summer. Like, without fail, there will always be uh, an English player who uh, goes for way, way more than his true market value, and Ollie Watkins is the prime example of that, Um he has a lot to prove. He has a lot to prove, especially as Villa, you know, barely escaped relegation last season, didn't really have that striking prowess that they needed. And if they're, if they're going to stay up, a lot of responsibility is going to ride on his shoulders. Um, But I, I don't know. I, I having not watched a lot of Brentford football last season, I don't know entirely what to expect from him. I know he's one of a a more pacey kind of attacking uh, or counterattacking style striker, but We'll, we'll see if he can fit into that side.
1: A lot of the purists are saying that Barami was the one that people should have been going after, and he's still at Brentford right now. So we'll see if... Obviously, we've got a month or so left in the in the transfer window. Well, it's not even quite that. It's actually just a couple weeks left in the transfer window, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how, how that goes and whether or not he stays at Brentford after the transfer window is done. Okay, on to Newcastle. Talked about Callum Olson just now. He came in from Bournemouth for $20 million. Great signing. Really, really happy with that. We'll, we'll kind of summarize these in here in a minute. Ryan Fraser on a free, reuniting Wilson and Fraser from Bournemouth. And then Jamal Lewis in at left back from Norwich, promising young Northern Irish left
0: back for 15 million. Pretty successful transfer window, I'd say, for, for Newcastle's. Act. Yeah, absolutely. Considering all things, you know, they they hit around that uh, thirty to thirty-five million dollar budget that uh, we were told they were going to have. Excuse me, million pound budget. Um, I think that honestly, the Lewis signing is the one that excites me the most, um, just because a very very young uh, player in a position that we have not had a uh, really a standout player at left back and. God knows how long. So uh, excited, you know, to see him grow and progress. I think that Callum Wilson was probably behind DeCorey, the second highest sought after relegated player. Um, And, uh, you know, started quite well against West Ham, but uh, with a goal, but we're, you know, he's going to need to put in a, I I think, 10 to 15 goal return in order for Newcastle to really uh, comfortably coast to at least a mid-table finish this season. Um, But yeah, good transfer window all around. Yeah, I think
1: that's a great summary. Thanks. On to Wolves, Fabio Silva, um, thirty-five million for a relatively unknown um, striker from Porto. Doesn't have a lot of league experience even yet at Porto, but very, very highly touted. A lot of kind of next Messi comparisons. Hasn't started Ooh. a game yet for them. Yep, there he's he's really highly touted, and quite a coup for for Wolves to be getting him. We'll see how he does. Nelson Semedo also very very interesting here they basically 3x the money that they got for Matt Doherty to buy Nelson Semedo right back from Barcelona to come in and then there was um, with the Jota transfer as well a player going the other way Kijana Hover who's a Dutch 18 year old defender has played for their youth teams over there for 10 million surprise some people saying they're surprised that he was let go by Liverpool given that they're still looking for the best center back options and backup that they can have there Um, but Wow, I mean, pretty impressive moves in the transfer market from Wolves. They're they're meaning business, I would say, and a lot of Portuguese players again that they're they're really building that Portuguese core through the team with Nuno.
0: Yeah, Fabio Silva, kind of uh, in the same ilk as Joao Felix, coming from from. Uh... From Portugal for coming from a Portuguese club and at that young age being bought for a pretty heavy sum uh I th- yeah it's no surprise that the, that the Portuguese connection continues for Wolves it was pretty funny to see them release their uh third kit a couple days ago and it's literally the same shades of red and green as the Portuguese national kit which I truly think it, that must have been done intentionally as a kind of you know, uh, kind of taking the piss out of the fact that everyone is saying that they are just Portugal junior, but uh, yeah, great, great summer. The, as you said, that the owner's proving that the cash splash was not a, a one or two year thing. And I'm, I'm just excited. Uh, I'm excited to see how they continue to progress.
1: Yeah. Love to see him get back into Europe this uh, after this season would be really great to see that. Um, Arsenal and Villa. There's been some kind of movement there between the two clubs. Martinez, um, second choice goalkeeper at Arsenal, is now starting for Villa, made that 17 million move across to Villa to become their first choice keeper. And then Arsenal doing a little bit of business in the transfer market themselves to get a backup for Leno, bringing in Alex Runnerson, who I'll be honest, I know very little about, from Dijon and Liga to come in and back up Leno.
0: Hmm. Yeah, an interesting connection that you wouldn't have really expected. I think Martinez capitalizing heavily on his form at the end of last season, and the I think it was, th- I think he only started three games after Bern Leno went out injured. But um, yeah, credit to him and his agent for getting him a, a move to to play first team football. Uh, and we'll see if uh, if Phil is able to kind of solidify that that back end of their of their side that leaked. At, what was it, sixty three goals last season or something? Uh, along that number, and so they—they they definitely need it. They definitely need those reinforcements. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna let you take this next one here, Zach. The new signing for Palace. <laughs> uh,
0: once again, the uh, the Belgian the Belgian superstar Mishi Batuayi back on loan at Palace from Chelsea. It seems as though. It it almost feels like this is the eighth season in a row that Batsuai has gone from from Chelsea to Palace. Uh, but what what is the Chelsea way if not loaning all your players out all of the time? So uh, <laughs> good good to see that Palace gets you know the the striker they need, although they know exactly what they're getting out of him. But uh, yeah, I think it's. It's probably a good move for, for both parties, considering that there was no way that Batswai was going to get a lot of first-team football behind Timo Werner, Olivier Giroud, and Tammy Abraham.
1: Absolutely not. That's fair. <laughs> okay, last signing um, that we want to touch on here. West Brom, Branislav Ivanovic, is back in the Premier League, Zach. He's only 55 years old. And he's making his glorious return to the Premier League from Senate St. Petersburg.
0: Oh my god. I I truly did not realize he was still playing professional football. He's <laughs> he in actuality he's thirty-six years old, which, you know, is a little bit less than fifty-five. But for a, a for a fullback, a fullback who's thirty-six years old is unheard of. Brandislav Ivanovich also, fun fact for you, the only international jersey that I have the player's name on is a Branislav Ivanovic Bosnia and Herzegovina jersey. Why? And it oh yeah, it, because it's you have that you had to have it in back in 2011. It was the jersey <laughs> to get. Um, wow! But yeah. no, I, I I love Ivanovic and I love that he's back on West Brom. So yeah, super excited about that. Good fun way to
1: round out the transfers. We'll we'll probably do one more of these just to really round out the transfer window and then take Definitely. a bit of just from transfers. So. Uh, but but some lots of movement teams making those signings i would say maybe gareth bale was that panic signing that i talked about for jose Mourinho after they lost their first game 1-0 home to everton
0: i don't know if i would label that a panic signing. a panic signing is usually when you overpay for a player but 13 million for... for a
1: season long loan you could buy a player for that they did. They yeah, bought but... Matt
0: Doherty for the same amount they paid for a season-long who, loan. Who, for who are who are you criticizing? Gareth Bale coming back to the Premier League? I'm not criticizing them at all. I'm oh, criticizing God. Jose
1: Mourinho, if anybody.
0: Oh no, I think that's the best signing they could have possibly made. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, It'll buy him but... some time for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, okay, yeah, we can we can wrap it up here. Though we'll we'll go through some some ten and ninety, and then call it for this episode do you want to go first or second tonight adam
1: i'll go second tonight
0: Ty. all right okay um my my questions are pretty simple so maybe you can end it on a bang um Sounds all right good. well just to, to start it out then uh question number one for you adam uh in the games in which Youngman, son harry kane and gareth bale all start together who do you think will score the most goals out of the three of them and why <laughs> i'm gonna stick with
1: harry kane because i predicted that he would be the top goal scorer in the premier league this season and that's the only reasoning i'm gonna give you
0: mm, okay i like that i mean there's not really a wrong answer i would have said Min San, but i'm also the biggest young minsan fan i'm surprised you don't have Newcastle. that international
1: jersey that, that would be one I, that i, would...
0: I I should get that one, but yeah, it would, it would be worn underneath my Ivanovich jersey. Uh, um, okay, question number two, Adam. Oh, wait, did, did you did you have something there?
1: No, I was just going to say that um, I, I didn't know if you would actually wear a Spurs shirt, given that your dad is a Spurs fan. Didn't know if that would be something mm. you'd entertain.
0: I'd, I'd wear a South Korea International jersey, though. That's, that's my that's, point. A, that's a, the that's a difference. That's a yep. good point. Um, yep. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, question number two. How high will Leeds finish this season? Twelfth. Mm, that'd be a great year. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think I like they'll be that. fighting
1: I don't think they'll be fighting relegation, but I also don't think they'll make the top ten.
0: Yeah. All right. I like that as well. All right. So um This is, you kind of took this question a little bit earlier, but um, looking at Newcastle's upcoming five fixtures, so between now and the end of October, we play Tottenham, Burnley, Manchester United, Wolves, Everton. Do you think Newcastle can win any of those games?
1: Yeah, I think we can beat Burnley. I think we have beaten Burnley in the past.
0: And Joel Linton loves scoring at
1: at Tottenham. It was the only time he did so in the Premier League last season. That's a great (laughs) point.
0: So why not again? Let's start Christian Atsy then and keep keep the band back together. <laughs> Christian Ats who? Nice. All right. Very good. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> question number four. Uh, do you think West Brom will leave the bottom three at any point this season? Yes, I do. Yeah? Okay. Mm-hmm. They've they looked. looked horrible so far.
1: They have looked horrible. The only reason that I think we maybe didn't bring them into the equation is because A, A, there's been teams that have looked worse, and B, there's goals in that team. And I think, I think that they'll figure it out. Um, they have a coach who's seasoned in the Premier League. He's a good coach as well. And I think that they've just got enough in them to survive potentially. So uh, they'll be on the outskirts. For me, they'll be right there in like 17th, 18th. So we'll see how they do.
0: All right. Okay, Adam, and uh, a transfer that has not yet taken place but has been one of the biggest rumored outgoing uh, transfers from the Premier League uh, revolves around Dele Alli and his uh, apparent fallout with Jose Mourinho. Uh, so I'll ask you this. It doesn't seem at the moment, it seems like Deli Alli might stay uh, for this season, but it seems like there's very little chance who will be at Tottenham next season. So I'll ask you this. Where do you think Deli Alley plays his football next season? that's a
1: good question um it wouldn't shock me if he left the Premier League um I've seen a lot more players doing that recently most recently from Spurs Kieran Trippier leaving to go and play in in Europe Deli Alley has been linked to some sides in Europe as well I don't know really where the most logical place for him to go is but it wouldn't shock me if he ended up in La Liga or potentially Serie A
0: well, apparently, apparently, I don't know how true this is, but I did read that uh, Spurs offered him as a kind of exchange for Gareth Bale as part of that deal, and Real Madrid said we have no desire to take on Deli Alley and uh, apparently PSG also rejected a loan deal for for Deli Ali. So yeah, we'll see. He, he's kind of not not the most wanted player in the world right now, um, but definitely has some quality in him. Just a bit of a tough nut to crack.
1: Yep, agree.
0: Right. All right. All right, So that is my five. Why don't we go on to your your specialty questions?
1: All right. Well, you stole my Deli Alley question. I was going to ask if you thought uh,
0: <laughs> he played his last game for Spurs.
1: So I will pivot very quickly. Uh, I've also got a theme of hypotheticals for you tonight, Zach, which I thought you'd enjoy. Uh, I'll start start with question number one. Mo Salah has three goals this season. Sadio Mane has two. Diego Jota is yet to start for Liverpool. Who will be Liverpool's top scorer this season, and how many goals will he have?
0: It's weird that you didn't mention Firmino there. Uh, not a, not he... a
1: prolific scorer, though.
0: No, and that's why the the trio works so well. I think um, I think Salah will lead Liverpool in goals this season. He's he looked he looked fantastic in that game against uh, against Leeds, and he looked good again against Chelsea. So yeah,
1: I'll say Salah. Okay. How many goals?
0: 23 23 that's a decent yeah, return I, 20, 20. I think i think yeah i think i think he has a very good year he's looked really really sharp so far
1: yep agree all right so uh question number two will steve bruce end the season as newcastle manager
0: <sighs> um yes and <laughs> i i wish that i didn't believe that to be true <laughs> all right moving on question number three
1: who will score more goals this season Patrick Bamford or Alexander Mitrovic?
0: Mm. I'm going to go with Mitro because I think that Fulham will play from behind a lot more and we'll just be pouring people forward. So I think Mitrovic gets more goals.
1: Okay. Question number four. Will Lionel Messi be Barcelona's top scorer this season in La Liga? Mm. And if not, who will? Oh man,
0: interesting. I mean, now let's let's get let's get fun with this. Let's say no, and Griezmann will be because now that Luis Suarez has gone and has gone to Atletico Madrid, um, Griezmann might actually start playing for Barcelona, which would be fun to see. Step it up, buddy. Step it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I like that answer. Okay, uh, final
1: question then for you. Which Premier League team... It's kind of a two-parter. Which Premier League team will go the furthest in the Champions League this season? And which team from the Premier League is most likely to bow out in the group stages?
0: Liverpool will go the farthest because they have gotten a lot deeper with quality uh, bringing on Thiago and Diogo Jota are just insane signings for a team that probably won't start either of them week in and week out um, who will go out in the group stages let's say it's it's Liverpool Chelsea Manchester United and City who will be in the Champions League um, Manchester United goes out in the group stages okay. Yeah,
1: with Ali at yeah. the wheel All right.
0: Ollie at the wheel.
1: Last question for you, as always. Welsh pronunciation Mm -hmm. for you, Zach. Of course. I'll spell this one for you. D-A-N-N-E-D-D. D-A-N-N-E-D-D. That seems
0: very simple in English. Uh, Let's go... Danit. Danit like with a t close it's a daneth
1: daneth yeah with a th at the end daneth
0: what does that mean Zach means um tooth get out of here is that it is it tooth (laughs) yeah it means teeth let's go let's go I finally
1: (laughs) did it (laughs) so before we started recording listeners I told Zach that I'm getting my wisdom teeth pulled tomorrow and that's what that's in relation to
0: um but he guessed it so credit oh to you my friend. god. that's i'm i'm the king i'm on top of the world right now that's <laughs> that's great what a way to go out that's, in the pod zach good job buddy hell yeah wow F- episode 52 is a wrap on a lovely note um we will be back two weeks from now i think we're not going to take another break um and we will we'll be wrapping up the the end of the transfer window talking about Uh, if Newcastle will break double-digit points this season and other fun topics like that. Can't wait. It's going to be good. All right, mate. Footy. Footy.